Revival by the book. Now, when I say that, recently at one of our funeral services, I was asked to do the whole first chapter of the book of James. That was a little unusual, but it was very, very fitting. And so it is today. Because in that first chapter of James, so much of what we're seeing in our world and can see and God desires to do is revealed in that one chapter. So it starts out, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Get the next line. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Did you get that? When we go through those difficult times that God allows us to go through because he wants us to grow up, he is not desiring that we as his children continue to be as infants and be so immature in our life and relationship with him and with others. So he says, the thing that I know that will help you so much to grow is when you face those difficulties. I tell this story, most people don't believe me, but it's true. I used to be into weightlifting. I went to the gym every day and I worked out and I did the weights and I had the muscle to prove it because I was doing what? Working with resistance. Now, what I didn't know and nobody didn't tell me was if you stop it, it goes to fat. So if you're there and doing it, don't stop it. Keep doing it. But spiritually speaking, there's an analogy to that. If we're doing the things, the disciplines of the faith, of prayer and Bible study and fasting and fellowship and all the things that God gives us to do and allows us to do and encourages us to do in his word, then we're building spiritual muscle so that we can be those mature believers that God can use in whatever circumstance he chooses because he loves us so much, but he loves his world so much that he gave his only son. And now he's given his world us so we can relate to the world about his son and what a precious, precious gift that really is. And so he's writing to other Christians who are scattered abroad, mostly by persecution. And he says, count it all joy because this is what's going to grow you. This is what's going to help you. This is what's going to enable you to produce endurance. Sadly today, we don't see a lot of endurance. People tend to quit things rather quickly. And that, I think, is terribly sad, particularly for those of us who know Christ, because we're... We're the hallmark, we're the watermark, if you want to call that, to allow God to use us in such a way that we continue to do the things of God, whether there's good times or bad times, whatever it may be, we stay at it. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He also tells us, at least Peter does in his writing, you have everything for life and godliness. God has made provision for us. There is nothing missing, nothing lacking. In fact, he goes on to say here, but if you are lacking wisdom, let that person ask of God. What do you need wisdom for? You need wisdom to make decisions in your life. Decisions in your life. Isn't it rather sad that those of us who proclaim the name of Christ will make decisions without consulting God whatsoever? And then we ask God to bless what we decided because 
How can it be wrong if I decided it? Because truth is, I'm really my God. And that is not how this works. And that's not what James is talking about. He says, this letter is being written to those who know God, who know him through Jesus Christ, and who know the power and working of the Holy Spirit. But let him ask. And when you ask, know that God gives generously, without reproach. And all we do is receive the gift of what is wisdom? Wisdom is the applied truth. So it's the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit being applied in our lives. And it doesn't matter where it's at home, in your marriage, or the raising of your children, or on your job, or in your finances, wherever aspect of your life that there is that God is wanting to do, which by the way is all of it, it works. And it makes all the difference in the world. What an amazing thing that James is saying to those of us who are living in our world today and how we can be the ones that God can use to testify and to reveal the reality that he has in us to others. But when you ask, he says, ask in faith without doubting. In other words, what's the point of asking? And and so let me give you a little litmus test for your prayer that might help. When you pray, ask yourself this question. If God should answer my prayer, what is the result? Other than just me getting an answer to my prayer, the result should be, is he being glorified by what I'm asking? Again, whether it's your marriage, your family, your vocation, your location, whatever. Ask in faith, believing, not doubting. For the one who doubts, listen to this, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. That being double-minded, I mean, it's talking about the fact that you are so, um, I don't want to say it, unstable in your life because those of us who are walking in Christ and living that relationship with him are not unstable we're not always just on and on and on and on questioning and questioning everything and and beating ourselves up because of it the literal translation is like a person who's trying to go in two directions at once Have you ever met those folks? That's a miserable life to live in. Where you just, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. I'll let your yes be yes, your no be no. But the brother of humble circumstances, I love how the Holy Spirit inspires these guys to write because if I were if I were just up here preaching what they're writing, you would got you guys would say, "Man, can he not stay on topic?" I mean, we're so accustomed in our world that we got to stay in a in a certain vein, and it's like right in the middle of this, James switches up, or at least it appears that way. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. He says, "Those who in the world's eyes have nothing, in God's eyes, because they're in God, they have everything." So back to India and those trips that we made years ago. And I remember going into the slum in Bombay. At that time, the second largest slum in the world. Millions of people in the slum. 
The bathrooms were the open gutters beside the walkways. It was horrendous. And so we go as far as we can in the vehicle. We get out of the vehicle and we start walking into the slum. And to this day, I'll never forget, right in the middle of all this swallow and all this incredible aroma, there's this little church building. And outside the door to greet us are these two little Indian pastors. And these guys are grinning from ear to ear. So happy to see us, so happy that we're there, so happy that God is working. And later, as I was speaking, I, the room wasn't huge, and so please don't, un, it wasn't thousands of people, okay? But the people kept coming in as we started the service and kept coming in and kept coming in. I was up front and I kept walking back and walking back until I had my back against the wall. And I had my Bible right here and the first person was standing right there. And as I shared the word of God, it was just amazing to watch how the Holy Spirit was taking that word and sweeping through the lives of the people. In the middle of this swallower, with people who had nothing. You, you think we have, a peop- we have people in America who have nothing. This was nothing, okay? But in God, man, they had something that was immeasurable. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. In other words, God says, so as a rich person, you find the places, and you'll see how this works out throughout the, the, the lesson here, you find the places where God wants you to serve, Because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. We're only here, all of us, for a period of time. Now, we may get some long lives. We've had folks who've lived, you know, in our church family in their 90s. I mean, that's pretty huge for us. I mean, in our world. But it's still grass. It's still withering. It's still passing away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, withers the grass, his flower falls off, the beauty of his appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuit will fade away. In other words, what are you after? Is there anything wrong with having wealth? Absolutely not. But when that's not your first priority, there absolutely is. Because God has to be that priority for us in all that we do. Blessed is the man. So blessed means in the highest state of spiritual well-being is the man who perseveres under trial. And you see, it's like he looks at the different groups of people. He says, okay, I know there's differences. I know that you guys look at each other in the physical realm in different ways. But the truth of the matter is when it comes back to the truth, the man who perseveres under trial is blessed in a high state of spiritual well-being. Why? Because once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, this crown of life is the martyr's crown. I mentioned the pictures on my phone of the pastor being martyred in India a couple of years ago. And what did this man do in heaven, this pastor that was martyred? What did he do when he, his physical body was no longer the house for his spirit and soul. He entered into the presence of God. Paul says to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And he has this crown, crown of life. There are five crowns in the Bible. And each of those crowns are a gift to us 
for what God is doing in us and through us here. And when we get there, we get to throw it at the feet of Jesus as our final act of worship, if you want to call it to him, from the reality of our world. What an amazing thing. Because Jesus promised that's what's going to happen. So let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one, please pay attention here. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Wow. So this morning in my devotion, Oswald Chambers Listen to this. We are only what we are in the dark. The rest is reputation. What God does, I'm sorry, what God looks at is what we are in the dark. The imaginations of our minds, the thoughts of our heart, the habits of our bodies, these are the things that mark us in God's sight. I'm not sure how that hit you, but that hit me. And here's the thing about it. When it's dark for us, it's not for him. He's seeing it all. And so when we allow ourselves to fall into those traps and temptation is going to come, temptation isn't the sin. It's the yielding of those temptations, as it says, becomes the sin. But even if that happens, please understand that we have this loving Father who says to us through his word in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins... He is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's our God. In other words, you mess up, don't stay there. Don't wallow in it. Don't beat yourself up. Go to God and say, God, I messed up. Forgive me for whatever it is and you name it. It may be in the dark, as Chambers says. It may be with another person. It may be something you said, something you did. Whatever it is. Because we want to make sure that those of us who are his people living here are, take, are taking those things before him that are not of him and getting rid of them as he provides a way through his son, Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. See, back to using Chambers' comment about how we do the things in the dark, and the enemy loves to work in the dark. When people come in for counseling, I'll ask them, who have you shared these problems with? And a lot of times they've been living in this misery, this horrible place, and the enemy is just kicking them and stomping them and beating them up. And I'll say, well, do this. Besides me, find one other person you can go to that you can be honest with, someone who, who will respond to you not so sympathetically. They say, oh, it's all right, don't worry about it. Or the person who's so hard and they're judgmental. But the person who will lovingly be your intercessor, who will give you the truth, but give it to you in love. And it's amazing when you start dragging that stuff out in the light, how healing and deliverance comes. It is incredible. 
We've watched it now for decades as God has done this work because our God is the father of lights. And he loves the fact that we can, as James says, confess our sins one to another. Bring it into the light with loving fellow believers, allowing God to do his work and the Holy Spirit to do his work and see what happens. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be the kind of first fruits among his creatures that you know, my beloved brother. Now he's just saying, look at what God has done. Would you please today, those of us who are here, look at what God has done. He's brought us out. He brought us out of darkness into his kingdom of light. And in doing so, we are now the first fruits. We're the ones that... As I said before, whether we're at home with our family, we're at work, we're at school, wherever we might be, we're out somewhere in commerce. And those who encounter us encounter the resurrected Christ. Yesterday, we held Shirley Roberts' funeral here. For those who didn't know Shirley, she was an incredible servant of our church, such a blessing to us. But let me give you a little bit of the story of Shirley. She was raised in church somewhat, enough to have been hurt badly. And so she went for a number of years. I shared this yesterday where she would have nothing to do with church. I have no no idea what she was like on her personal devotional part, no idea. But the one person that stood out to me who was so absolutely concerned about Shirley's relationship with God was Jim Wade. Jim's passed away, of course. His family's here, Donnie and others. And Jim, I I couldn't tell you the number of times we'd be praying and he'd be praying for Shirley, for her to come to know Christ and to, uh, if she didn't know, and he, he had no idea, they'd worked together in textile and that she truly knew Christ. But he had just had this compassion and passion for her to know Christ. And I don't still know all the details, but she did. And what a wonder it made in Shirley's life. Now, for those who knew Shirley, she was still outspoken. She didn't mind telling you what was true. But all her service for God, as a part of this church family, she was just such amazing blessing. And as we look at lives like that who are now in the presence of God and how blessed we were to have known that person, whatever relationship that may have been, James is writing, says, you're the, you're the first fruits. You're, the, you're what people get to see. And he says, oh, by the way, you're my beloved brother. I love you. And here's these verses. If you have not memorized these verses, please let me encourage you to memorize these verses. These verses will keep you out of a whole lot of trouble if you practice them. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, And slow to anger. I wish I could tell you how many times I have gotten myself in trouble with my mouth. Did I really say that? Yes, you did. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. 
slow to anger. One translation was a very modern translation said, lead with your ears, follow with your mouth, and let anger bring up the rear. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So back to Shirley Roberts. She came to this pivotal point in her relationship with God. And she asked to meet with me, and she did. And here's what was the issue. She was ticked because somebody had hurt her terribly. And she came into my office, and she spilled it all out. And again, you didn't have to worry about what she was thinking because she always said it. Here it is. And when she got done, I said, well, surely there's only one thing you can do. She said, what's that? I said, forgive the person. She sat there for a minute and lost her words, which was very rare. And she said, that wasn't exactly what I was expecting you to say. Now, I don't know what she was expecting me to say. So we prayed together and she left. And a week and a half, two weeks later, she came in and she says, you're not going to believe this. And as I said in the service yesterday, because I shared the same thing. Tell me the story of the things that I wouldn't believe, because those are the kind of stories I like to hear. And she says, I did as you asked me to do. I forgave the person. And she says, I cannot believe what has happened in our relationship since I forgave them. She said, we have this incredible relationship now. It is amazing. And it all came about because she was willing to forgive someone who had hurt her and actually hurt her family too. So putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In other words, as God is working in our lives and doing that transformational work, there's stuff that can be residual and in the process of growth and time and maturing. We just have this incredible thing that God does of cleaning that stuff up. If we'll let him, don't hold on to them. Don't keep them because it's not healthy, spiritually speaking, to do that. So the filthiness, your speech... My speech before Christ was absolutely abomination. That's the only way I can say it. And as I grew and learned and the Holy Spirit worked with me, it was amazing how he cleaned up my language, the filthiness, so that my children, thank God, because I accepted Christ before marriage, never heard. My wife never did. My kids never heard the foul mouth that I had previously. And I can't tell you how grateful I am that they have none of those memories. I hope yours don't either. But all they go. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul's words. Get the word in. That's what Alan Parr was saying. If you want personal revival, get the word of God into your life and watch what he does. does. And so we have the saying. I'm going to resurrect it here for a moment. Depending on the stream of religion that you grew up in, there were different excesses. In one stream, it was 
all about the Word of God. Now, please understand, nothing wrong with the Word of God. I'm for the Word of God. And so it sadly became very dry. And so the phrase we have is with, when you have only the Word of God, you can dry up. And then there's another vein where it was all about emotion. And all the emotion was attached, as our world would say, to the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost. And so you had all this emotion, but you didn't necessarily have the truth. And so the next part of that saying is, when you have only the Spirit, you can blow up. But here's the reality. When you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God in your life, that's when you grow up. So let me please advocate to you that you take the time, make the time, if you want to call it that, to get the Word into your life, to have the time to spend with the Spirit of God as He works in your life and works that Word into your life, and as a result, it makes the difference of how you live life. Who knows? Who knows? The next person you're going to talk to and God use you to say something to that person because you've been submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is being put in your life. You've been consistent about doing that. Who knows that their eternal destiny may be changed? Now, if you can, can you get that? Can you get that? And, and again, that doesn't mean you're going to run up to everybody and spot out all the Bible verses, you know. But as you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit and he's working your life, he's going to direct you to the people. And you may be walking through an aisle at Walmart and the Holy Spirit say, uh, how about talking to this person over here? And yes, they're going to think you're weird. That's okay. Do it in a loving way. Just let the Spirit of God be the Spirit of God. In other words, let Him be God in your life and watch how that your life is lived. Prove yourselves doers of the Word, not merely hearers, deluding yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like the man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. Doers of the Word. That's what we're talking about today. And the only way we're going to be doers of the word is by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple. You can sit here and say, well, I'm going to be a doer of the word. I'm going to be a doer of the word. And without the Holy Spirit, uh, you're not going to be a doer of the word because we don't have what it takes to do that. And we were talking about that earlier uh, before the service too, about going to funerals because of Shirley's funeral yesterday. And, and, and I've attended, sadly, and uh, officiated over a lot of funerals. But I've noticed when I go to funeral services, sometimes the person who's leading the service is reading the Word of God, and that's a very good thing. But it just comes across, as I said previously, so very dry. It's like there's no power to it. You ever notice that? And then I've been to services where it was all about the emotion, and, and, and the, the person leading the service was seemingly like doing their best to preach that person into heaven. By the way, so you, know, so you know, that doesn't work. You know, just don't wait till you die and say, oh, Steve will get me in if you're here. No, he won't. You're on your own merit. My job is to share the truth. Those of us who lead and speak here to share the truth. What we do with it is up to us and how we respond to that. If you hear the word, 
and you don't do it, you're living in delusion and deception. Even to the point that James illustrates, it's like looking in the mirror, walk away, if you get what you look like. Now, some of us as we get older, and we used to have this little thing here in the office, in one of the offices, if I stood in front of the desk and looked on the wall behind the desk, there was a mirror there. But before I would do that, I would be standing over looking out the window. And looking out the window, I'm thinking, you know, nothing in my life has changed. My spirit, other than my spirit has grown and matured, and I'm grateful for that. I'm enjoying the creation that God has outside the window. And then I take a step over and look in the mirror and say, oh, well, yeah, some things have changed. It's gotten older and balder and bigger. It's changed. But inside, what God has done, so the mirror that I want to look at is the mirror of God's Word and how well my reflection matches His Word. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about being doers of the Word. And again, please, please, please get this. You will never, ever, ever do this on your own without the work and help of the Holy Spirit. But the one who looks intensely at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and binds by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, that man will be blessed in all that he does. What are we saying? Do the word. Because you do the word, you do the work. That's our lives that God has given us and how blessed we are to have this every, every day. So, back to the video we showed at the beginning. Some of those basic disciplines of the faith. Revival is personal to a point. But when it has been worked in us, then, if we're around others that God is doing that same thing is, then it becomes corporate. And then it becomes a magnet, not to us, but to our Christ who we serve. Because here's the one thing we can know with absolute certainty. When the Holy Spirit is working and doing His work, when He's doing His work, here's the thing we can know. He's always going to exalt Jesus. He's always going to lift up Jesus. And He's always going to glorify the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. Your loving kindness, your mercy, your love, you pour out on us in abundance. And we're so glad we're here. We're so glad to have been able to voice those songs of praise. And now, God, Holy Spirit, as you take this word, your word, and touch our lives and transform us and the aspect of our lives, our personal life, our family life, our work life, our school life, everywhere we're involved, that we are those folks who are so desperate for you, so absolutely desperate for you, that we walk this out, being a doer of your word by the empowering of the Holy Spirit every day that we live. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you have done in each of our lives to get us to the place that we are. And thank you for what you are doing to get us to the place that you desire. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.